you know, I could just preach from over here. Just, Daryl, I could just, just get it right here. Got a couple longhorns sitting right here on the front row. I could just, I could just have at it, but uh, I won't do that. Oh, uh, no, I would, uh, no, just, just kidding. Uh, all right, go ahead and grab your Bibles. Turn with me to the book of Hebrews. Uh, we're in the middle of chapter 12. We're, uh, I, I'm not going to say we're about to get there. We're winding down in our study. We're really in the middle of the, the practical application section. So much of it is doctrine, but man, we got into some good stuff the last couple of weeks. Uh, we got a couple challenging texts to deal with, one of which we're going to look at here uh, in just a moment. But I thought I'd start with a question this morning. Do you know the origin of the question, am I my brother's keeper? Uh, maybe you saw one of the movies. There's been a movie or two over the years. Maybe you've read on the subject. Uh, maybe you've kind of asked the question. Maybe you've pondered that question. Uh, am I my brother's keeper? Uh, but do you know who first asked the question? And do you know to whom it was addressed? Uh, I mean, it's a great question because uh, the ramifications uh, of, a, of an affirmative answer are so high. But the conversation uh, that yielded that question, uh, if you don't know this, the, the conversation that yielded that question happened between God and Adam and Eve's son, Cain, the, bro- or the brother of Abel. You can read the story in Genesis chapter 4. But I find it rather fascinating that Cain spoke so boldly to God especially given the fact that he had just killed his brother. Uh, but he had just killed his brother, and he had the audacity to say to God, to the, I mean, think about this. He had the audacity to say to the God of the universe, not inquisitively, but sarcastically. When God said, where is Abel? He goes, am I my brother's keeper? Who are you? To, I mean, it's almost like he's saying to God, who are you to question me? And so I find it, I find it, uh, just a lot of, uh, audacity, if you will, in that question, uh, from him. But it really, it, it's a great question. Because I think it's something that, that we need to ask. Now, I think it's probably misused in, in, in some of the political circles and some of the places that it's used. But, but I guess the question for you and me this morning is, is do you have a responsibility to your brothers? And sisters, do I, do we have a responsibility? When it comes to spiritual matters, to church matters, are you obligated and are you responsible to your brothers and sisters? Now we live in a, we certainly live in a dog eat dog world. I mean, that's kind of what we've grown up in. We know it's a world of self-centeredness. Uh, we know it's a world of self-reliance. We know that it's a, it's a world of, of self-preservation. And so it's hard to imagine that, that we would have an obligation uh, to somebody else. In fact, even in the, that, that idea has kind of snuck into the church world uh, in, in the last few generations. The idea that the church is really about me and the church is often about, well, well what is the church going to do for me? Uh, I, when I come, I want it to be, I want to get things to, that I want to get and I want to get them kind of my way. I, I, I would really like the message to kind of be tailored to my style and I'd kind of like the music to be the, the you know, and we got, we kind of got a list of things. And, and, and if we're not careful, um, 
we'll get into the idea that, well, well, I come to the church and I get my needs met. And, and there's a sense of that. But if everybody's coming to get their needs met, who's going to be meeting the needs? See, scripturally, and we're going to look at this in a moment, there is a responsibility that, that as, a, as a part of the body of Christ, I have an obligation to the rest of the body. Not because I'm a pastor, but because I'm a brother. And, and all of us have a responsibility. We're going to see in our text this morning that we have a responsibility to the body because we're part of the family. Now, look down in your Bibles there. We're, we're going to pick up in Hebrews chapter 12. Listen to what the writer, uh, and, and this is kind of a fun text to get into, and, and, and some of you, this is going to be a new understanding of these passages, but, but listen to what he says beginning, in, we're going to go 12 to 17. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal, for you know, for you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. Let's pray together. Father, as we uh, take these next few minutes and, and, and unpack this section of Scripture, God, I pray that you would stir our hearts. God, I, I pray that you would challenge our hearts to recognize that indeed I am my brother's keeper, that I have a responsibility and an obligation to the family of God, uh, to the church of God. But even past that, Lord, uh, we have an obligation to, uh, to people that are not yet part of the fellowship. And so I pray that you would bring, bring that to our attention, that you would open the eyes of our heart. And we might see the responsibility uh, that we have as, as followers of Jesus this morning. And then, Father, I would be remiss if I didn't pray for me uh, that I would that you'd bring to mind every word that you'd like to be said, and that I would forget everything that's not relevant uh, to us today. God, that I wouldn't speak according to my own wisdom or my own knowledge or, or even the, the wisdom of men, but rather, God, that you'd hide me behind the cross, and I would speak in demonstration of the, the Holy Spirit's power so that you indeed might speak into our lives and, uh, and we'll give the glory and honor to Jesus. And God, as we read in that passage, see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God. And Lord, I, I pray that that would just be, uh, that would just resonate this morning, uh, that no one would be short, uh, would, would, would fail the grace of God. And Lord, I'm convinced that there's that there's, there's some people in the auditorium this morning that are they're yet to be followers of Jesus. They've not come all the way and experienced the grace of God. And, Lord, my prayer is that uh, is, as much as I can this morning, I want to see to it that they not fall short of the grace, that they might be challenged to be saved. And so, God, would you, would you just have your way in our hearts and lives this morning, and we'll give you honor and glory for all you do. And I pray, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. 
Well, if you look at our text, it says, therefore, and it, you know, kind of one of the rules of Bible interpretation is, is when you see therefore, you got to ask what it's there for. And so, so what you got to do is you got to kind of look back up. Uh, the writers just say, in light of what I've just been talking about, in light of that, you need to, therefore, you need to, and, and to do what we're going to talk about. And so I want you to note up that we talked about, uh, man, we talked in great detail last week about the discipline of God. I mean, um, you know, we talked about how God brings stuff in our lives and we want to pay attention. And man, if you weren't here, we, we learned about a porcupine and what that looks like. And uh, I actually went out and looked for him last night, didn't see him, you know, my friend out there. Uh, somebody asked me this week about the brisket. Okay, because you know I was cooking brisket and I about stepped on a porcupine or whatever. So if you don't know the story, you just need to get the, you need to listen to the sermon from last week because I can't go all the way back there. But just so you'll know, the brisket did not get ready till eight thirty Sunday night. So imagine it, because I had somebody, some guy asked me after second service, says you're going to eat all that brisket by yourself, and, and I just didn't. I was like, well, you know, probably not. And, uh, not not you know, thinking when I got home I'd have brisket, but I, but I, I promise I put it on at eleven forty two Saturday night. And it came off at 8.30. It took it to 8.30, you know, uh, to get ready. But it was good. I'll, I'll just tell you, we ate it four times this week. <laughs> and it was good at every, every, you know, brisket tacos are, are really good. But, but, but we, talked, we talked a good bit about God's discipline last week and how, how God chastens those he loves and, and how, how God brings stuff into our life. And, and we've got to endure things. As part of God's discipline in our life. And if you look up in verse 7, notice what it says there in verse 7. It said, it is for discipline that you have to endure. It is a matter of discipline. It is a matter of training that, that things come into our life and we've got to endure those things. Now, in, in light of that, in, in light of the fact that we've got to do that, um, we've got to fulfill what we just read about. And that is, you know, we got to do our part on a team. Now, most of us have, have been a part of a team somewhere down the line, maybe a sports team or maybe a ministry team or maybe, you know, kind of a work team in the office. But, but almost without exception, we have been part of a, a team. And so because that's true, when you're part of a team, you have to go through the – man, you – you go through the ups and downs, the highs and lows, the good, the bad, you know, the struggles. I mean, that's just part of the deal. Well, when you gave your life to Jesus Christ, you became part of his team. You became part of his family. And so you signed up for, now you may, nobody may have told you this, and this may be a, a new revelation to you, but, but when you sign up for Jesus, you sign up for everything, the good, the bad, and the ugliest, just like when you join a team, man, listen, very few teams win all the time, right? And so, so when you become part of a team, you, you've got to go through, uh, the, the, the different, uh, aspects. And so, and so it demands teamwork. Now, very few sports, um, do not de- demand some sort of, of teamwork. Even, even individual sports often demand teamwork, um, Funny thing happened Wednesday night. I was, you know, I was, I needed my sports fix. So I, I got home after, uh, just kind of everything was done and I was flipping kind of through the channels and, and I went by college track and field and I flipped on past it, but I saw a Texas A&M symbol. So I went back 
And my wife goes, you know what's track and field? I said, well, I saw this Texas A&M guy. So I go back and, and they're, they're talking about these two guys. They're, they're about to run the second heat in the, in the, uh, in the outdoor track and field relays. This was Wednesday night. It was out in Oregon. And they, they talked, they said, here's a guy uh, from Texas A&M and here's another guy from Texas A&M. This guy's a freshman and he's awesome. But this other guy, what he does is he goes out and he sets the pace. And so they line up and, and sure enough, I think the guy's name was Hector or something. But man, he kind of sprints out and he sets the pace. And the other, the young guy kind of gets on his hip and he just kind of, you know, he just, the guy runs about a, you know, about, 500 meters, about a little over half of the race. And then the guy that took off just kind of folds, and he just falls way back. But he set the pace for this guy named Donovan Brazier, and he go, and he wins that heat. And so I thought, yeah, I thought you know, even in, in running, you need teamwork. Turns out, uh, I, I looked last night. Uh, i got to throw this in for Aggies. He won the 800 meters, and the guy's a freshman, set a collegiate record for 800 meters, a minute and 43 seconds or, or something like that. It's really fast. But, but here's what I want you to understand. Even though it was an individual race, he needed somebody to help him. He, he needed some teamwork. Uh, but you don't just see that in running. You, you see that in, uh, uh, in like bicycling, cycling. Uh, one of the things that always seems to happen to us, this is kind of a bizarre story, but I'll go ahead and tell you. It just seems like every year we're on vacation when they have the Tour de France. The Tour de France is the, is the premier bicycle race. It's, it's 21 stages in France. They, they do all kind of crazy stuff. They spend about uh, a week and a half riding up in the mountains and different things. Uh, and, and, and you're probably thinking, you gotta be an idiot to watch bicycle races. I, I, okay. I, I don't disagree, but if you've been at the beach four or five days, after four or five days of cartoons, Hallmark, and HGTV, Tour de France looks pretty good because they got a guy riding on a motorcycle filming this stuff, right? But so, so we usually get a few. I mean, it just, I mean, the race goes on for like a month. So when, so when I'm on vacation, I'm gonna get some of that, all right? So, but here's what I want you to understand: these guys, will, there'll be a team. And they'll have four, five, six guys on the team and they'll, they're gonna run up, they're gonna ride a hundred miles and they'll start out and the best guy on the team doesn't start out in the front. He just kind of gets in the pack of his five or six guys and he drafts along for the most of the race and saves his legs so when it get, when it comes time to sprint to the finish, the best guy has got the freshest legs. Now he's, he, he gets the, if he wins the award, he gets the, he wears the jersey. But to win as an individual, he's got to have the help of his team. Now you might be going, what in the world does that have to do with the text? What does that have to do with being a, a, a Christian and a follower of Christ? L- listen, listen, think about this. Everybody, everybody is responsible for their own soul. Everybody's responsible for their own faith. Everybody's responsible. Listen, you're accountable to God for you. I'm accountable to God for me. But if we're going to make it, we've got to have some help. 
If you're going to run the race and win, you're responsible to run the race and win. You're accountable to run the race and win. But if you're going to win, you got to get some help. And I've got to get some help. And so the scriptures, as a matter of fact, Ecclesiastes, turn, look in your Bible back over to Ecclesiastes. Uh, you're going to be familiar with this. Chapter 4, listen to what the, the wise King Solomon said beginning in verse 9. He says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift his fellow up or lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Now, here's what the writer of Hebrews was saying. He was saying, sure, you're responsible. Everybody's responsible for their own spiritual journey. But everybody's got to have help. And so I'm my brother's keeper and my sister's keeper. And you're your brother's keeper, your sister's keeper. And because that's true, you and me, we have some obligations and some responsibilities to the body of Christ. And so I want to share with you this morning three obligations that the writer of Hebrews tells us that we have. Uh, as a matter of fact, just kind of write in your margin, Galatians 6, 2. That's the challenge that we're to bear one another's burdens. So just think about that uh, because the first obligation that I'm going to share with you is what I'm going to call, we have to share hardship. We have to share Hardship, or, or, or you might think of it as share the burdens of life. Now, it's really interesting if you look there in verse 12, because the writer goes back to that, he goes back to the running analogy. Remember up in uh, uh, two weeks ago, we talked about uh, the idea of the marathon and how, uh, how we're to run with endurance the race that is marked out before us, and we talked a good bit about, about running in different things. Um, but but l- listen to just the verbiage because there's a connection because he says, Therefore, lift up your, your drooping hands, strengthen your weak knees, and make straight paths for your feet. Do, do, you, know what they, do you know what they say uh, when you look at a distance runner? You, you know how you can tell if he's getting tired? Do, do, do you know what they say is the first thing you look for? He, he drops his hand. It says when a, when a distance runner starts getting tired, he, he begins to drop his hands. Because now I'm not a runner, but I run. So I, so I don't, I'm not an expert at this, but, but here's what, just doing some reading over the years. What they encourage you to do is that, that you, when you run distance, you keep your hands up here, kind of up here, level with or above your heart. So, you know, if you drop them down, they, you, you swell up and all this different. And so, and so you run with your, with your hands kind of up. And the idea is that, that you run and you, you're reaching because your arms, your hands, they help pull your body along. And so they, so they say, you know, you run with your hands up, you kind of relax your shoulders, you got your hands up, and you don't run with a clenched fist. In fact, one guy says, you run like you got, got potato chips in your hands. So you run along. And, and, and so you're keeping your hands up. But when a guy starts to get tired, he, his hands begin to droop. And that's just, you say, oh, that guy's tired. I can catch him. And the second thing that happens is your, your, your knees begin to get, your, your legs begin to go. And you get a little jelly-legged and, and, and different things. And, and so what the writer was saying here, 
He's saying you, you, need to, you, need to, you need to strengthen, you need to lift up, you need to strengthen your, your hands, your arms, you need to hold them up, you, you need to strengthen your weak knees, and, and you need to make straight your past, because if your knees get wobbly, you're going to be, you're going to be kind of doing this and this. And you know the old saying, uh, the, the straightest distance, uh, the, the shortest distance between two points is what? Straight line. So you don't, you don't want to be wobbling all over here like this. And so, so he says, you need to, you, you need to tough it up. You need to tough it up. You, you, you need to, to endure it. And now, now you might be going, so, so, so why do we do that? Well, before we talk about why, let, let me talk about how. How you know if you're in the if you're in the spiritual race and your hands begin to droop, if if you're in the spiritual race and, and you begin to wobble a little bit, if you're in the spiritual race when you're you're not really focused and moving ahead straight, what how, how do you fix that? How do you fix that so you can run well? Now we're going to talk about why you need to do that in just a moment. But but, but how do you do that? Uh, I grew up farming. Uh, my dad had a farm and a ranch, North Central Florida, and Sometime along my teenage years, my dad decided that, you know, he drives the tractor well enough, he can, he can plant the seed. He can plant the corn and he can plant the soybeans. And so we, you know, way back then we just had a little, a little four row planter. Uh, and, but the deal was if you were going to plant, you had to be able to drive in a straight line. In other words, they wanted the rows to be straight. Now, I always thought, hey, if the row's crooked, you get more seed in a crooked row than you get in a straight one, right? Because the shortest distance is, is a straight line. So I thought, well, you, crooked row, more seed. Well, that didn't fly because they, you needed to be able to drive a cultivator, down, you know, tractor down and cultivate, and you need to be able to go down and fertilize and everything. So, so you, had to, you had to have a straight line. Now, how would you do that? You know, you go, you're going across an 80 acre field. It's a half a mile across there. How, you know, the fields plowed, bumpy. How under heaven are you going to get any semblance of a straight line? You, you know, they, you know, what they teach you to do. What you do is you look all the way across the field and you pick a target and you put your focus on that target and you put your planter down and you could try this when you're mowing your yard. You, you, you want a straight line? You, you want to make your yard look good? Don't, don't be looking down here. You, you pick a target over there and then when you start, man, you're, you're just going along like this and you, and all your, your, your focus is you're on that point that's a half a mile or it's across the yard. And if you take your eyes off of that, guess what's going to happen? You're going to go here and there. Now, you say, why is that relevant? Look up in verse two. Cause Jesus, the Word of God says to run with endurance the race that is marked out for us. And then look at that phrase, looking unto Jesus. Now, here's the deal. If you're going to strengthen your weak hands and your weak knees, if you're going to make straight your path spiritually, you can't look at all the stuff that's around you. you got to focus on Jesus. You gotta look at Jesus. Now that's how. Now why do we need to do that? Look in the middle of verse 13. Notice what the writer says there in the middle of verse 13. And make straight paths for your feet. Here's the purpose statement. Why should we do that? So, why, why do you and I need to be strong? Why do you and I, why do we need to be strong and straight? Listen to what he says. And this is where it gets kind of hard to interpret. He says, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, 
but rather be healed. And the writer's talking about, listen, you and I need to do what, we, we need to be strong and straight so, so that the guy that's lame, so that the person that's lame, now not lame like, you know, we use that term, our kids use that term, kind of slang, well, that guy's lame. That, that's not what it's talking about here. When it, when it uses the term lame, it's talking about the, the person that's weak. And what the writer is saying to his audience and what really applies to us is that we need to be strong and we need to be straight so that those that are struggling around us won't look at us and get dislocated or put out of joint, but on the contrary, through our encouragement, our love and affirmation, they will be healed. And so we need to be strong and we need to be straight in order that we might have a positive uh, influence on those around us. Because here's what I know to be true. Sometimes I'm going to need you to come alongside me because I'm going to be weak and struggling. And, and sometimes you're going to need me to come along beside you because you're going to be weak and struggling. And sometimes the body is going to need us. Some other people in the body, they're going to need us to be strong and straight because they're going to be struggling. And so we, we have, again, Galatians 6, 2 says we're to bear one another's burdens. Uh, look back in your Bibles, if you will, to Romans chapter 15. I want to just show you a, pa- a, a verse of scripture there, uh, maybe two verses in Romans 15. It says, Listen to what he says. Paul, writing to the church at Rome, we who are strong have a, here's that word, have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. See, see sometimes the body needs us. Now, sometimes we're going to need the body. But but if everybody's here to get built up and nobody's here to do the building up, then how's anybody going to get built? So so I, I, I've got to be strong and straight and you've got to be strong and straight so we can build up the body. And then on your way back to Hebrews, stop at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Just stop there at 1 Thessalonians 5. Listen to what uh, Paul says again. Wait on me. I'll be there in just a second. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 14 says... And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. And so there's, there's, a, there's a responsibility. I'm my brother's keeper. You're your brother's keeper. Uh, my, my father died December 14th, uh, 1984, had a heart attack and, and uh, come along story won't get into, but uh, happened on a Friday night. I think it was Saturday night. Uh, a guy come by our house. His name was Emery Mills. He was a friend of my dad's. Uh, him and his boys came by the house. Um, he was an old cowboy, had a, had a stock market, uh, had a little ranch, you know, that bordered some of the places we leave, but just a friend of my dad. And, and, and I mean, he was, and he was a man. Emery was a piece of work. He was a, he was a character. And one of his sons went by the name Borhog. I mean, that's what he called. You call your son Borhog, uh, you know, so, so, so he comes by and, and, and 
And I guess for two hours, man, he told stories. And he, he made us laugh. And he got our mind off of that. And that December, it'll be 32 years ago. And I could still tell you a story or two from that night. Just because he cared enough. He was at a point where he was strong and, and, and he cared enough to come and just encourage some boys. And I was 22 years old. My brother was 17. My older brother was 24. You know, and, and an older sister, older sister. Man, he cared enough just to come and to speak into our life. And, and, and so listen, and we've all been there. You've been there. I've been there. We're, we're all going to be there. And, and so, so if, if we're going to follow Jesus, then we got to be willing to share the hardship of the brothers and sisters. And if we're going to do that, then, then we got to be strong and we got to be straight so we can help them when they're struggling. And, and, and that way they'll be strong and straight and they can help us when we're struggling. And so the first obligation we have is to share his, or to share their hardship or to, or to share, uh, the sufferings of others. But secondly, look down in your Bibles at verse 14. Not only are we to share the hardship, but we, we also have an obligation to pursue lordship, to pursue lordship. Listen to verse 14. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Now, a lot of people misunderstand this text right here. A lot of people think that, hey, you know, if you're gonna, if you're gonna see God, if you're gonna be saved, you gotta have peace with people and you gotta be holy before God. And a lot of people think that what that means is that, that, that I gotta be a good boy or you gotta be a good boy or you gotta be a good girl. And if we're a good boy and a good girl, then, then maybe we'll get to see God. But that's really not what the text says. What the text says is that because we are believers, we should pursue Harmony, peace with everyone, obviously to the body of Christ, but to everyone. Not in order to be saved, but because we are saved. We're to pursue holiness. You might even, your translation may use the word sanctification or to be sanctified. To be set apart for God, not in order to be saved, but because we are saved. And that word strive, I, I use the word pursue because that word strive there, literally it, it's, it's like a, kind of the picture is, if, if you've ever, if you've ever been like fox hunting, if you've ever been with guys that had dogs that went fox hunting or hog hunting or, or rabbit hunting, uh, coon hunting, pick your poison if you will. But the picture is, you know, when a, when a hound gets on a scent, he is relentless. A good hound, I mean, you listen to old Jerry Clower stories about coon hunting. A good hound will never rest. He keeps pursuing. That word strive in the ESV, that's the picture there. That we are to, we are to relentlessly pursue Harmony with people and holiness before God. Now, you may say, well, how, you know, how, do, how does that uh, connect uh, to the idea of lordship? Do, do you remember what, remember the guy comes to Jesus and they, they're trying to trap him. And, and the guy says, uh, 
Jesus, what's, what's the greatest commandment? You remember what Jesus said? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and I think in Mark and Luke, with all your strength. In other words, with every part of your being. Love God. In other words, be set apart for God. And he says the second one's like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, what Jesus was saying is you, you need harmony with people and you need holiness with God. And that's what lordship is. Now, Again, why do we need that? Because what the writer says, without harmony or without peace with everyone and without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Now, notice the text doesn't say, without harmony and holiness, you will not see the Lord. That's not what he's saying. Because if you're saved, you're going to see the Lord. What he's saying is, without harmony with people and without holiness with God, nobody's going to look at you... And see the Lord. And so we, we have a responsibility to chase after like a hound on a scent. We have a responsibility to pursue lordship so that the people around us look at us and see him. Now that's heavy. Because you know what one of the greatest deterrents to Christianity is? Christians. People look at us. You know, and they go... I don't know. Not really sure about that. I, I may have told you this story. We, we were on visitation one night. One of our deacons comes back and says, we went to this house and, and we knocked on the door. And he says, you know, he says, this guy comes to the door. He's got a beer in one hand. And we tell him who we are and where we, he, he let us in. He says, well, and so we said, we're, first, we're from Zion Baptist Church. And, and uh, we'd love for you to come down to the church. And the, the guy's standing there and he's got a beer in one hand. He said, well, there's just a bunch of hypocrites down there. That's all y'all are is a bunch of hypocrites. And the guy in my church says, well, there's always room for one more. Just come, you know, just come on. All right, come on down. But, but, but here's the, you know people are watching us. People are watching you. And I, 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 did some, I tried to research. I thought there was a movie called The Watcher. So, so I, I Googled that. And, man, I got this do-do-do-do-do, you know, this crazy stuff. I mean, you get the weird stuff. But, but here's what I'm saying. Listen, there's people inside the church. And there's people outside the church, and they're watching you, and they're watching me. Because here's what they want to know. Does does the way we behave match up with what we say we believe? That's what they want to know. That's what they're watching. That's what they're looking for. are, Are we real? Are we genuine? So we need to pursue lordship. We need to uh, share hardship. The last of all, look down there in verse 15 and following. Uh, the, the phrase is to practice guardianship. Practice. Now, I chose that word guardianship for the outline because verse 15 begins with an imperative. Listen to what he says. He says, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. The word see to it. Now, if you've ever, if you've ever signed your kid or your grandkid up for something and you know, you gotta have permission for them, uh, when you get to the bottom, it says for signature of the parent or the legal what? Guardian. What, what does a guardian do? They watch over, right? The, the, the phrase see to it is from the, the Greek word is episcopeo, from which we get the idea of the Episcopal church. But the idea is to exercise oversight or guardianship. And so what the writer is saying here 
is that if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're part of the family, you have a responsibility to exercise oversight to the people that are part of the family and that are interested in becoming a part of the family. You're, you're to provide uh, guardianship, if you will. In three areas, real quickly, we don't have time to go in great detail on these. But, but first of all, we're, we're to see to it or we're to guard that no one misses the grace of God. Notice what he says in verse 15, so that no one misses the grace of God. And let me say this again. You've you got to be careful here as well because what he's not saying is, um, he's not saying to believers, be, be careful that, that you, don't, you don't measure up uh, and, and, and get to heaven. Be careful that you don't earn your way to heaven. That's not what he's saying. What the writer's saying, remember we've, we've been talking about this group of Hebrews and there was a lot of believers and there were some that they had left Judaism and they were coming to the church, but they weren't yet believers. And, and they, they were coming right up to the faith. And what the writer is saying is, is, is you need to look at your people around you and, and you need to give some oversight. You need to guard over them and be careful that no one misses the grace of God. Now, now you say, how does that apply to us? Here's how it applies. There, there are some people sitting in the auditorium this morning who are in danger. Uh, some of you here this morning, you're in danger of missing the grace of God. You, you've come right up to Jesus. You, you intellectually, you believe in Jesus, but you've you've never been. Um, let me say it this way: You are intellectually convinced but you've never been spiritually converted. Intellectually convinced, but not spiritually converted. And the writer was concerned of that. Because here's the thing. They, they, had, they had heard the teaching. They had read the letter. But they were in danger of falling back. They looked saved. They hung around with the saved. They, comp, they contemplated being saved, but they were lost. And the writer says, you need to see to it that no one misses the grace of God. Now, how many of you know somebody? You, you, you know somebody maybe inside of our church, maybe outside of our church. Uh, they, they have a, a form of faith. They have a form of godliness, if you will. They, they know about Jesus. They might even, you know, uh, do the little church thing. But, but you look at their life and you go... You know, I think they're spiritually, I, th- I think intellectually they're convinced. But I'm pretty sure spiritually they're not converted. And what the writer is saying to them and to us is, is that we are to, gu- to be guardians over them. And that means that we have a responsibility to talk to them about their faith so that they not miss the grace of God. In a couple of weeks, we're going to talk about how you can do that, uh, how you can share your faith. But it, can I just say this, and, and this is a little bit dangerous. If you've got a friend, uh, inside or outside the church, and you suspect that maybe they're just, maybe their faith's all intellectual, and it's not really in their heart, then you, you need to have a conversation with them. You need to talk to them. Much better to, to presume that they're lost and find out they're saved than to assume that they're saved and then out in eternity discover 
they were lost. And so what the author is saying is we need to be careful. We need to see to it that no one comes short of the grace of God. Then he says we need to uh, see to it that no one, that no root of bitterness uh, comes up. Uh, just jot in your margin, Deuteronomy 29, 18. The idea here is not just bitterness from anger. The idea is someone that, that has fallen away from the faith and they stir up a root of bitterness and, and cause many to be defiled. And so we don't have time to get to that. I want to get to this last point. And he also says, see to it that there's no one in your midst that's like, that, that's immoral, sexually immoral and godless like Esau. And he's talking about here is that we need to guard the fellowship. That if there's somebody in the fellowship that is sexually immoral, if there's someone in the fellowship that is profane and godless like Esau, that as guardians of the flock, as guardians of the family, then, then we need to address that person. We need to confront that person. And it's, it's really interesting because um, the whole, I, I, did a whole, I did a sermon one time. Actually, I did it for our students here a couple years ago. Is, is Esau... People would say about Esau, next to Judas, he's one of the saddest guys in the Bible because he had at his disposal, man, he had the promise. His grandfather was Abraham, uh, the, the father of the faith. Uh, his dad was Isaac. He had at his disposal all the promises of God. And the scripture says, uh, I think it's probably referencing to him as immoral, but certainly uh, to him as profane or godless. Man, man he, he had everything in front of him and he chose to be godless and profane. And, and so, uh, because he was one choice, messed up his whole life. And I remember talking to the students about this idea that one choice, one bad choice can, can mess up a whole life. And so the writer says, you, you, need to, you need to guard the flock. You need to guard the people. You need to look out for the family. That, that there's nobody immoral. I mean, think about, just think of, I mean, we live in such a sex-crazed culture. Did you know one, five minutes of pleasure can, can mess up a lifetime of purity? Five minutes of pleasure can, can mess up your testimony forever. And some choices, listen, 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 some choices we make will stay with us the rest of our life. I thought God always forgives. Absolutely. If you repent, God will forgive. But there are consequences. I mean, I, you know, I, when, when I was a youth pastor, I taught our students, I mean, to, to these young ladies and young men, I mean, it's like you, losing your virginity. You're going to do that one time? <laughs> you, you, you got that gift for one person. You can save it for your husband or wife or you can give it away. No, will God forgive you if you make a bad choice? Absolutely. But the consequences don't go away. And what we see in the life of Esau is that he made a bad, in fact, he made two bad choices, but uh, well, actually he made the, the, the one that got him was he came in from the hunt and he was famished and he surrendered to his appetites and he sold his birthright for a bowl of stew. I mean, imagine, I mean, what, what would you give up for a Whataburger? Huh? I mean, they got, they got the, uh, the, the uh, what is it? The, uh, they got some special going right now, the cheddar brisket burger or something. And, you know, they're like, they're, but, but I mean, what would you give up for a meal? Esau gave up his birthright, the rights of the firstborn, the double blessing, the double portion, the, the blessing of God. He gave it up for a bowl of soup. One choice messed up his life. 
So here's what I would say to us. Here's what the writers say. We need to practice guardianship. We need to see to it that we and those around us don't make the wrong choice. So we have a responsibility. You and I, we both have a responsibility to others. My time's up. Let's pray together and then uh, I'm going to let you go.